Most student assignments deal with hypothetical situations. Write an article as if it's for a well-known magazine. Submit a report as if you are a practicing physician. Create a scale model as if you're the architect on a multi-million dollar project. Well, today we meet someone who kickstarted an advocacy project for domestic violence victims in Papua New Guinea. And well after her grades were due, her work is still changing lives. Welcome to Science of the Times Radio. Welcome to this week's Signs of the Times Radio. My name is Daniel Kuberek, and with me here today, I have one of my good friends, Jessica Krauss. Jessica Krauss, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you, Daniel. How are you? I'm really great, thanks. Now, Jess, you've been on Signs Radio before. I have indeed. When was that exactly? That was, I think we worked out, it was... September last year, I think it must have been, I was on with the lovely Mary Ellen and I was on with Kent. So, um, yeah, we were talking about digital natives and the idea of aloneness and technology. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that that was a really good episode. And I remember that you, Kent and Mary Ellen had to cram into our little booth area here. It's, It's really small. Like the three of you here definitely would not have adhered to social distancing. No, no, we did not. Yeah. And I don't think the aircon was on as well. So I just remember sweating profusely the entire time. Interesting that that sort of thing would happen in 2019, but not in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of stuff has changed because you, you interned here at Adventist Media for a little while. But as much as you love media, your passion is with law. So how's your, how's your degree going? It's going really well. Thank you. I am now a f- final year law student. I had my fourth year or my second last year exams last Monday. So I'm finally able to say I'm a final year law student and I'm loving it. I'm really enjoying it. I'm looking forward to graduating, but I'm really enjoying pursuing that career at this present time. And that's with Newcastle University, right? Newcastle, yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. Even though you have sort of had an interest in writing and in media, what what has it been about law that has really captured your attention? I think I've always really been drawn to this idea of justice. Both my parents are involved in kind of careers that lean towards this idea of helping people who are in situations that are really tough. My mum's a counsellor, my dad's a minister of religion, so I think it's just always been ingrained in me, the idea of you're not here just for you. You're here to be able to bring hope and healing to other people's lives. And so, I'm hoping to be able to do that through law. Yeah. It's really interesting that you have that outlook on life because we have another writer. His name's Mark Delaney, Mm. who is also a lawyer, but he's very passionate about activism. And he actually wrote an article for us a while back about civil disobedience, about how he's been arrested a few times and civil disobedience is, is important to him as a way of getting a message out there. Yeah. So it's interesting that that like sort of intertwines with with law in a way because because that's an area you're very passionate about as well, hey. Yeah, definitely, definitely and I think especially in the times that we've experienced this year and yeah, just recently I think yeah, this idea of civil disobedience. I think I read that article actually and really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's always been something I've been passionate about and I think that the society we're in now there's really a call for this idea of activism and justice, which I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And 
We, we learn a lot about you and how this has been your passion through some of the projects that you've kickstarted. And this is a, a pretty incredible story that you've pretty much written down for us in this article in Signs of the Times. It pretty much starts with your journey, your university journey, because you weren't always at Newcastle University. You actually started at Avondale. So, what were you studying there? I was studying, technically, it was an arts degree. I, I went to Avondale University as kind of a a gap year while studying, which isn't a gap year, I guess. But I really wanted to go there just because both my parents had gone there. And so, yeah, I went to Avondale in 2016 for one year and I just, two of the courses that I picked and the one I wrote about in the article was one called Justice and Advocacy. And it was basically, yeah, focusing on doing a project that advocated for an issue that we were passionate about, basically. Wow, that's incredible. Did you know what direction your life would be taking at that point, or were you sort of just feeling out your options? Um, I I had been accepted into law, and I deferred for a year, but I was in a bit of turmoil about what I wanted to do with my life. But I knew that no matter what I would do, I really wanted activism to be a decent part of that. And so, with a title like Justice and Advocacy, I went, well, hopefully that's what we'll be doing. So, yeah, that's why why I picked it. What's the background for this? Did you care much about these issues growing up? Did your parents sponsor kids or were they involved in projects? Is there anything like that that happened? Well, we, we didn't sponsor any children, unfortunately. I would have loved to do that. But through our church, we were involved with a lot of different a lot of different projects, things for the Red Cross. When I was in year 12, instead of going to schoolies, I went on a trip to Cambodia where we helped build a house and we interacted with a an organisation that helped rescue girls from the streets, which I thought was really cool. So, yeah, I think it's always been a part of my life. These types of issues have always kind of been a part of my life. It's obviously been a, a big part of your identity growing up, but yeah. it's it's like this was the first big opportunity in this subject to do something about it. So, you had an assignment, right? Can you just explain what the assignment was? Sure. So, our assignment, we got split into groups and our assignment was basically to pick an issue that we were passionate about and do an advocacy project of some description. I think I can't, it was, we were given a lot of leeway as to the issue we wanted to do what type of form our advocacy would take. We were given a lot of choice, I guess. But, yeah, that was the basic gist of it. We had a project and we had to, I guess, find something we were passionate about and do something about it. But this was just an assignment, so it's not like you had to then carry that like mantle on after the final grades are in, right? Oh, definitely not. I, and I think that was a part of it as well. We went, look, there's a chance that some of us may not be here Next year, I knew that I probably wouldn't be here next year. And so, it was kind of like, okay, cool, we've got this project. Let's let's see whether we can make something of it, I guess. Yeah, just YOLO kind of thing. But, yeah. but your, your group didn't really know what to do, hey? Not at all. The other group decided to do an assignment on Green Week, which is awesome. The environment's super important. And we were 100% stuck. We just had no clue. I mean, the world is a pretty messed up place. There's a lot of issues we could deal with. And so, I think we were, we really were stuck. Then your tutor came to you guys and he had an idea, right? Yeah. So, he, he saw that we were in a, in a state of confusion, I guess. And he basically went, hey guys, can I tell you about this situation that's happening in Papua New Guinea? 
And he proceeded to talk to us about these statistics of gender-based violence and family violence in Papua New Guinea. Over two-thirds of women will experience domestic abuse at some stage in their life. In one area of Papua New Guinea, 100% of women will experience gender-based violence. For 20% of females in another area, rape will be their first sexual experience. And we were just, we were honestly just stunned. Domestic violence is a huge problem in Australia, mm. and we've seen that this year in particular, I think, through a lot of different things that have, stories that have been seen in the media, but statistics like this, we were just overwhelmed, and we went, we really need to do something about this. Now, do you have any connections to Papua New Guinea? Because I know your family has been around. You have family connections in Lord Howe Island. Yes. But do you have any connections back to PNG? Like, have you ever been there before? No. And that's the thing. I I don't have any connections to to PNG. My my dad was the son of missionaries, so they went to the islands, but they didn't go to Papua New Guinea. And all of us basically in this group by one or two were of Anglo-Saxon background. Mm -hmm. So, we were really concerned about this idea of white saviorism being like, look, we're, we're going to come help you because that rarely goes well. And it's, it's also just not a thing I think is a good means of helping people. So yeah, in a very long answer to your question, no, we didn't really have much of a connection to Papua New Guinea. When he presented those statistics to you, it's something that struck with you, right? Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. I think I'm a female, so I think you always feel a connection when you hear statistics about other females in other parts of the in other parts of the world. Um, I'm also part of a part of a family, and I think hearing about situations where the family dynamic is so toxic and there's such pain in it, it just broke my heart. Mm, yeah, absolutely. When I read your statistic about how, for a lot of women, that rape would be their first sexual experience, that's horrifying. Yeah. Like, that is very, very sad. And to be honest, I, I had no idea it was this bad in Papua New Guinea until we went through your article, Incredible Statistics. So, obviously, it was something that your group felt about quite passionately. Just getting a, an idea of who was in that group. So, it was a... Males and females, mix of ages as well. We had some people around my age. We had some people in their, in their 40s and 50s. So, it was cool in a way because we did have people from all different walks of life in this one group. You were all on the same page about picking this one that your lecturer suggested? Yeah, definitely. Once we, once we heard about the huge issue that it was, I think it struck a chord with with all of us for, I'm sure, different reasons. But yeah, we all just decided, look, this is something we need to do. But it's a, it's a gargantuan task, right? Like, you're, mm. we're over here in Australia. Papua New Guinea is, you know, thousands of kilometers away. Yeah. So, what do you do next? Like, what did you guys decide? Was it, like, daunting? Oh, it was super daunting. And we kind of, we were going, do we just raise money? Is that is is that the answer? And we... We realized we had to, we chatted with Brad about it, our lecturer, because he had been over there and he had chatted with people. And we also got in contact with ADRA, the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, which is an organization that really goes into areas like Papua New Guinea. And so really, there was like shared values with them, hey? 100%, 100%. And we basically went, what is the best thing that we could do as not very financially stable college students. Yeah. 
And they talked about this idea of helping to create a refuge for women over there, a place where they could go to potentially escape unsafe situations. And so we decided to do that. So it was almost like they already had an idea to do something similar to what you guys were doing, but they sort of needed someone to kickstart it. Is that is that true? I I think so. I don't want to I don't want to take the credit away from them because I think that they probably had a lot of stuff in the works as well. But I think that yeah, I think we were able to create a a means for which to achieve a goal that potentially Adria already had. Mm, absolutely. Well, it's incredible that that you went ahead and, and did that, but still collaborating with a well-known organization would have definitely helped. What happened next? Like, what, what was the sort of the, the goal you were trying to achieve? Were you trying to raise money for these safe houses to be built or like, and how did you go about that? We wanted to raise money, but we also knew that raising money is one thing, but actually creating knowledge and understanding surrounding the issue is a completely different one. You can tell people, oh, please give money to this great cause and they mm. will, but it won't affect them sometimes. And so, we really believed in the importance of having people know what they were raising money for. So, we did different fundraising events. We went to a women's retreat and did a presentation on what was happening in Papua New Guinea and went, look, this is what we're wanting to do. Will you help us? And we did another advocacy day at Avondale University College where we talked about the issue again and went, look, this is a really significant problem. Help us. And yeah, so slowly but surely we were we were networking with people. We were seeing how we could get assistance, but we were also really trying to raise awareness as well. Well, it's incredible that by 2019, you mentioned to me, which is like after you already left and started yeah. your law degree, the, the project still went on yeah. and that $100,000 was raised by the end of that time. Was that a figure that you guys had come up with originally? It was. It was. As as far as I'm aware, yeah, they, they raised $100,000 and a safe house was able to be created, which is incredible. I think when we said $100,000, it's one of those ones you you start a university project and you went, you kind of want a nice round number and $1,000 is kind of not big enough and you kind of want to sound significant and so you go a hundred thousand but i don't know whether any of us actually imagined we'd get there mm. so actually reaching that amount was pretty incredible now you you passed over a detail there before which is which is the fact that you guys were going out to all these events and and doing public speaking yes now you are self-professed as enjoying public speaking which is which is rare you know most people <laughs> would rather die than do public speaking. Yeah, yeah. You're one of the rare ones. So, what did that involve? Did you have to go around organizing that or were people like keen to have you on to talk? Yeah, well, I got in contact with, I knew the lady who was in charge of the, the retreat and went, look, we're, we'd love to do kind of a, a fundraising here. Would you be interested? And she was like, yeah, sure, let's let's do it. So, my friend and I went and we made a fancy PowerPoint and all the good stuff. Full of nice wipes and fades and stuff. Oh, of course, all the transitions. Yeah, you need clip, s- clip art. Yeah. Clip art, oh, yes, yeah. yeah. All the really solid titles, yeah. yeah. Um, Early 2000s kids, what's up? Oh, yeah, it was it was really just the peak of my creativity in that, <laughs> in that PowerPoint. But yeah, we, and so we went to, to do the presentation and I honestly was the most terrified I think I'd ever been in my life. As someone who enjoys public speaking, I was 
terrified of stuffing it up. How come? I think because there was so much at stake. It wasn't uh-huh. just... I mean, I'd done debates in high school and things like that. And you get to the end, you're like, cool, we did it. Solid effort. But this was... There are legitimately people who are in terrifying situations and I could potentially be involved in a small way to do something about that. I do not want to stuff it up. And so I think the pressure of it, yeah, just made me terrified. So you felt very personally connected to people over there. Yeah. The fact that there could be even be lives at stake. Yeah, definitely. The, yeah, the stakes, the stakes were raised and I... I wanted to contribute in this the small way that I could. And so, I was wanting to do it to the best of my ability. And I really didn't want to, yeah, I guess, mess it up. Yeah. Well, absolutely. That's incredible that you, you went ahead and did that. So, what, what sort of people were, were at this retreat? Was like, was there a large number of people there who were, who were listening to your, your presentation? Yeah. I think there was over a hundred women there. Yeah, it was a women's conference, so women of varying ages who had come had come for kind of a nice empowering weekend away and then I came in and was like hidden with them with domestic <laughs> violence statistics, which I'm sure wasn't the uplifting hope that they'd hoped for, but yeah, it it ended up being a success, which was really cool. We raised a few hundred dollars, which was amazing. Yeah. What was the sort of response? Did any of the, the ladies that were there, did they come and talk to you afterwards feeling impacted by your presentation? Like, oh, well, like me, I had no idea about these stats. Yeah, they did. They definitely did. I think a lot of them as well. Some didn't. And I wondered whether one of the reasons was sometimes you don't know what to say. I think in situations like that, other than I think they were, a lot of them were quite stunned by it. Yeah. But I think the success we had in fundraising showed that they really did feel something for it, even if they didn't necessarily come up and talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how, how did your friends feel about, about the whole situation while you were working on this? Could they see the passion that you were involved? Were they, were they keen to be a part of it? Yeah, I, I think so. I chatted. I, it was mainly my friends because I was staying at the college at the time. Yeah, I in the think, dorms, right? In the dorms. Yeah. yeah. Dorm life. My goodness, what a good time. But I think they were quite confronted by it as well. And I think they were always so supportive, were wanting to help out where they could and would show up to events and things like that. If we were doing a fundraising, they'd just show up and just show support or it was just in the little things, but yeah, I was f- always felt very supported, and also, I really did feel like this issue was something that they related to strongly as well. So, Jess, your assignment finished, but the project continued, right? It did. Yes, I I left the university to start law, and kind of didn't hear much about it after that. I knew that people were continuing. I had two of my friends who had been involved in the project with me became ADRA ambassadors, which was awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they got involved in that. So, they kind of continued to fundraise and I didn't really hear much about it. And then I think it was on Facebook one day, I heard this thing about how they'd raised this incredible amount of money and how a safe house was going to be created. And I just thought that was incredible. I just went, I this was this tiny project that... I don't know whether any of us thought would really be able to have the impact it did, and it looks, it appears like it did. That's incredible, because tracking back all those years earlier when you guys 
came up with this idea. Mm. Well, first of all, you didn't even think that you could achieve it. Yeah. And second of all, if you could, then you didn't know how far it would go or that you'd ever see the impact of it. Yeah. But because of this initiative that you guys had, all those years later, think about how many lives were saved because domestic violence often can result in death. Yeah. Or how many people have like been saved from you know, potentially abusive situations because of what you guys did. Yeah. It's it's wild, honestly. I, I can't it it shows that it's so much bigger than the little bit you offer, which is really encouraging. And it shows the power of community as well, which I think is really cool. Do you think you're gonna do something like that again in the future? Or is are you gonna try and use the influence you have as a lawyer to vouch for humanitarian projects? Yeah, I I really would love to do things like that in the future. I, I'm i really wanting to get into human rights law when I finish law. It's very niche in Australia, but just finding the, the areas where there is genuine need that people are struggling. I've always been really passionate about kind of women's issues, anti-trafficking, anti-slavery. So anything in that regard, I'd love to be involved in. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's really interesting because it's not just about looking out for your fellow person, even if they're in a different country for you, mm. there is something behind it, which is your values and your morals as as written in the Bible. Yeah. Now, can you tell us about what is it inside the Bible that actually inspired this project at the very core? Yeah, well, I think throughout the Bible, we see constant instructions, both in the first part of the Bible, which is called the Old Testament, and in the second half, especially from this man called Jesus Christ, who Christianity is based around, basically going, you need to look out for the for people who are oppressed. You need to care for people who are suffering. Isaiah 1 verse 17 talks about de- defending the oppressed and fighting for the rights of the widows. And in the New Testament, in James, it talks about true religion is to look out for the orphans and to take care of the widows. So, I think that within the Bible, we don't see an allowance for inactivity in relation to oppression. Mm. We see constant instruction being being like, if you see someone who is struggling, it is your job, it is your duty to care and show them love and to try and do something about it. Mm. Which is really interesting when you tie that back to what you mentioned earlier about feeling a bit unsure about doing this because of the the white privilege thing or the white saviour thing. Yeah. And yet, when you really think about it, it's almost like, well, that's far better than the alternative, which is like doing nothing, hey? Yeah. I think that the issue of white saviourism is always something that we need to consider. And because of that, we need to go, what is a way we can come alongside and we can be with people in it, not just do things for them oh, th- yeah. and do things with them instead. Like collaboration, hey? Yeah, definitely. Because there's, I'm sure there's things, well, there's definitely things in Australia that I know other cultures could come in and go, look, let us come alongside you. Let us help you through this. I think that it's always important to try and do something and work alongside others in doing that. That's right. It's almost like self-determination in a way. Hey, like helping provide the resources, but at the end, the person who you're helping, it's not dictating what they should do, but allowing them to make choices or whatever. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think so. So, like that safe house, that was a need that they had in the community mm. uh, that they chose and you helped through your actions here in Australia. Yeah. You helped make that happen. Yeah. 
domestic violence is, as you mentioned, a huge issue over there, but yeah. it's also a huge issue over here because 100%. domestic violence in Australia, what, what, what do you know about it and what can we potentially do to help that situation in Australia? Because Papua New Guinea, whilst it's far away and we can definitely contribute to aid projects, this is an issue that's not even isolated to that part of you know, that part of the world. Yeah. Well, yeah, as you said, the Australian statistics for for domestic violence are still quite significant. I think it was one in one in six women will experience domestic violence over the age of fifteen from a partner or a loved one, which is just insane. I think that a big part of helping to combat domestic violence in Australia is both at a personal level, I think it's checking in with your friends, seeing whether they're okay, having a genuine interest in their lives, speaking up if you see something that you think isn't right. Mm. And I think at a bigger level, volunteering at refuges, donating money to refuges if if you maybe can't volunteer, doing things with organisations that are already doing work in the community who have seen where there are areas of need and are working towards that, I think there's potentially a danger in trying to do it by yourself because it's always important to stand on the shoulders of people who have come before you. And I think, yeah, getting involved in the community works that are going on in relation to domestic violence and, yeah, keeping an eye out for the people around you who you love. Absolutely. And as a, as a man, it's also about, you know, keeping keeping you and your brothers accountable because yes. to speak up and even like at a, at a more broader level, it's about the the culture change, hey. Because as men, men have done terrible things in the past. We are often guilty of terrible things, mm. as we've seen that happen in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. To create a culture where it's not acceptable when you see something that's just is not right to call it out or yeah. to to s- support your brothers and and make sure that we stay away from this sort of stuff. But yeah, Jess, it's been wild having you on the show. <laughs> It's incredible the story that you've the the project that you guys started. Obviously, we're going to try and get you on in the future as we see your career develop <laughs> and the various activities and projects you'll you'll get into, and particularly about some of your your points of high interest, like um, like you mentioned trafficking and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we we really appreciate you, Jess, and we're thank you for that you could join us this week on Signs of the Times Radio. I guess if there's any way that anyone can be involved any in any projects, we will uh, have those at the bottom of Jess's article oh, awesome. on our website. Be sure to check it out if you can. But yeah, thanks, Jess, for joining us today. Thanks so much. Absolute pleasure. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au in Australia or signsofthetimes.org.nz in New Zealand.